Well, happy Wednesday. We are studying the scriptures of the New Testament in the order in which the books were written so that we can see what Christianity looked like as it rolled out. We've made it through 1 Thessalonians and we are in the middle of Galatians chapter 1. We are down at verse 11. So hang on, we got some fun things coming. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I rather received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Well, there is a mystery in Paul's life that he's about to talk about, but before we get to that, we need to explain that he had to always fight for people to recognize him as an apostle. And it, and it makes sense, it really does, because here he was, an avowed enemy of Christianity, and he uh, oversaw the execution of Stephen, for example, and we know that he went to different cities to uh, harry and harass the new believers, and then he disappears. He goes off the, off the grid for a few years, which he'll bring up here, and then he reappears as a dedicated Christian, ready to preach, but not only just to talk about Jesus, but he writes more books than anybody else in the New Testament, and he talks about how to apply Jesus and what the rules are and how to live. And if you were early, back in those days, Christian, and all of a sudden your avowed enemy shows back up. You thought, you know, where has he been for three years? Then he walks in the door and says, hey, I'm a Christian now. Let me tell you what Christ wants of you. You would be very suspicious. You would. And so you'd have to watch him. You'd have to be around, and by the way, you were watched back then. You didn't have private time. You didn't have a private bedroom and a private bathroom, and streets were always crowded, and you didn't have glass over your windows anyway if you had windows. So you were in sight. And so do I trust Paul? Yes. Yeah. Did they? A lot of them didn't. All the way, we're going to find this. Again, this is repeated in his life. Second Corinthians is, is really just constantly trying to get them to understand, I'm an apostle, I'm real. And so again, this, this has tarnished him. You know, I've seen books about Paul being the guy that created Christianity and Paul being the guy that stole Christianity. And no, no, uh, I think instead that you have to say, you know, Paul was a fellow who was converted by Christ and nothing was easy about the rollout of Christianity, and nothing was easy about the practice of Christianity in most places, to be honest, throughout most history, and many places even today, it is brutally difficult to be a Christian, but not in America. You're not being persecuted in America, so stop it. But the most, most of us, uh, I think, understand that. Even if we are sued or ostracized, at least we're in America where we have certain rights and some legal protections. Although, yeah, there have been instances where those have been uh, mislaid for the moment, shall we say. But he goes, you've heard previous my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing um, in Judaism among those of my same age and among my people. And I was, I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers, but when God, who had set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him unto the Gentiles. And of course, you couldn't get more Gentiles than the Galatians, Gaul slash Celtic people, these wild people that would eventually be shoved 
more to the edges of Europe. See last lesson for that. Uh, he says his immediate response to coming to, to Christ was not to go to any man, but rather, verse 17, I didn't go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was. So I'm not a copycat before I was, but I went into Arabia and later I turned to Damascus. And then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Cephas, who we call Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. I assure you before God that what I'm writing to you is no lie. Again, having to fight for this. And I get that, I really do. Because frankly, if somebody comes up to me and says, well, the Lord is speaking to me and he wants me to do this, but he wants you to do this. I, I retain my right of critical thought and the application of same to anything you come to me with because I've had people bring me things and say, God inspired me to write this and it's awful. It's disjointed, poorly reasoned. It is just almost unreadable. And yet they're smiling. God gave me every word of this and probably didn't. But what do you say? I mean, how do you, how do you crush these people? Uh, that makes them feel special and they're totally convinced. Uh, modern day prophets are totally convinced, except for the real sleazeballs. And so I don't know what to tell you, except that if I was in the early times, I would have been looking at Paul going, really? Well, I'll watch you. But I, I, I reserve the right to go, uh-uh. Well, I think history and the church has proven that Paul was of God and that his conversion was real, but it was a lifelong struggle for him to get past this. In fact, I, I think about that because we live in a culture where you can be, um, you can be canceled, you can lose your job, you can be ostracized by your community because somebody digs up an old Facebook or Twitter post or uh, a, a tape of something you said when you were 16, 18, 20, or 30. And no matter how many years went on and what your life looks like, they're coming for you. We've all seen it on the news. We've seen it in social networks or asocial networks as they tend to be. And think about how hard it is for Paul because to change people's minds, he can't post. He has to go talk to individuals. He has to go talk to people in cities. And if you uh, read about the life of Paul, you find that was not easy. That was a hard road. He talks about that I went to Syria, Cilicia, I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only heard the report, the man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy and they praise God because of me. I find that to be very admirable among them that they were able to say, okay, this is a real change. He's preaching Christ. But even Paul in Philippians 1 will talk about some people out there preaching that were preaching to cause him harm. And he said, I still don't care because as long as they are preaching Christ, I praise God for that. Now, there's a good attitude. That's amazing. Well, he still has to talk about this. So chapter one, I'm sorry, chapter two, verse one is really the same story. Then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. And I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and meeting privately with those who are esteemed as leaders. I presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. 
I wanted to make sure I was not running and had not been running my race in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks, they always do, to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. People hate freedom in religion. Oh, they hate it. That we have in Christ. And to make us slaves. And we did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. Okay, what's going on? Well, first thing Paul does is a very, 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 very smart thing to do. If you feel that you have been given a word from God, if you feel that you've been given a dream from God, a message from God, a mission from God, you don't email one person and you don't go sit with a circle of your friends. Because if I get one and then I sit around with a circle of white guys raised in uh, America or the West and um, with access to the same preachers and the same sermons and we move in the same circles and uh, so if I have a, they're going, well, you know, I was just thinking about that too. Yes, you're in the same places doing the same things. You go outside your comfort zone and you sit down with a group and you say, this is what I'm hearing. Is it from God? Remember James, the brother of Christ said, you test these spirits. And Paul will say, you test these spirits. You check these out, that make sure. Well, I did make sure a couple years ago, no every time you think you get a revelation. So that you don't end up being one of those Galatian 1 types that we talked about last week, which are cursed from God because you, you took something that wasn't from him and you said it was. Be very careful, very careful. So what's he doing? He's in this meeting and he says, I want you to hear my gospel. But then there's a side issue which pops up. He brought with him Titus. We'll hear much about Titus later. But he brings Titus. Titus is Greek. Therefore, he's not circumcised. Hebrews were circumcised, but not, you know, the Jews, but not, not the Greeks. Most of them didn't. And then some, the false believers, Paul calls them, and he's going to have a lot worse words for them in Galatians uh, and elsewhere, but mainly in Galatians. Uh, and they, they said, no, no, Titus has to be circumcised. Pay attention now, right? This is red flag warning time. Anybody who ever tells you you need Jesus and be very careful. Because this was the start right here. Jesus and be more like a Jew. Now we love Jews. Jews are our brothers and sisters. We're not anti-Jewish in any way. But Jesus never said, Jesus who was a Jew, never said, first become a Jew, then you can become a Christian. Or that Christians are just Jews who believe the Messiah came. But you have to keep all that old stuff too. Well, that old stuff was given by God. So, I mean, you can see how they could make a very persuasive argument. But Paul goes, no, no, we're free in Christ. Now he's gonna examine and open up this doctrine of freedom in Christ elsewhere. Romans is a particularly rich place for that. But this idea of no, 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 no. We have Jesus, now you cannot go back and throw old stuff on him. Rather like Lazarus rising from the dead, Jesus immediately said, get the grave clothes off of him and let him go. You don't bring something to life all wrapped up in the old stuff that's gonna smother it. We're not gonna, you know, is circumcision then bad? You know, I'm not getting into that fight. Oh my goodness, I've seen the circumcision and the anti-circumcision people fighting 
for literally 40 years. Remember the Dr. Dean Adele uh, show on the radio? Uh, fascinating, a lot of fun. Um, and so much more reliable than Dr. Oz and most that you get out there. Um, and yet he just, oh my goodness, was he opposed to, to circumcision. You know, I, I'm not going to fight you on that one way or the other. I think it was very, very wise for God to do it with the community that he did it in, in that time and place, because of the, the matter of infection, the matter of all this other, it made a lot of sense. I think now it is optional for most people. But people were trying to say, no, if you want to follow Jesus and be part of the club, you have to be circumcised. And Paul goes, no, you cannot steal our freedom. He's going to bring that up again in chapter 5, for those of you who like to read ahead. Now, verse 6, for as for those who are held in high esteem, in other words, the real top dogs of this new Christianity rollout, whatever they were makes no difference to me. Another, God does not show favoritism. It's kind of... It's a very human thing Paul does here. And he goes, now all the very important people like me, not that that matters to me, because to me, all people are the same under God. But he's now mentioned that they are very highly esteemed twice in just a few verses. So it does kind of mean something to him. And I don't blame him to you. Because if you can say, I say this, and these big important people behind me are all nodding. Well, that's, you do it. Paul Paul's a person. Let him be a person. On the contrary, they recognized that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the uncircumcised. In other words, that it was just a Jewish phrase to say, not us, the Gentiles. Remember that the world can be divided into two, Jews and Gentiles. And so they're saying, no, those are the others. So I was entrusted to go to them just as Peter was entrusted to go to the circumcised. And this is why people will say, and with, with um, full rights of doing so, that Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles, while Peter was the apostle to the Jews. Although both of them, there were many, many, many exceptions to that. For example, Peter and Cornelius. Peter and a Gentile. Paul and, oh my goodness, every synagogue he found along the way. So that's a general designation, but they certainly didn't look upon that as, well, that's your patch and this is my patch. They, they just preached wherever they were. For God who is at work in Peter as an apostle to the circumcised was also at work in me as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, <laughs> third time, Paul. I know you just said it doesn't matter to you, but you've mentioned it three times now. Um, James, Cephas, and John, those esteemed as pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. Which I, I love that phrase, they recognized the grace given me. There was no canceling here. There was no holding anything against a person. It's just grace. Well, there's a way to make the world better. But can I also mention something else? Does it make anybody uncomfortable uh, those of us that are outside the Catholic traditions, uh, that people, people are named here as being pillars of the church. I've heard people say, oh, it's just an expression. Yeah, it's an expression. What do you think it means? It's an expression of what? Um, I think sometimes we dehumanize humans to elevate Christ. 
Yes, people have elevated people and devalued Christ. I get that as well. But Christ works through human beings, and sometimes those human beings are pretty wonderful. And so James and Cephas and John, uh, all they ask is that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I've been eager to do all along. Would you please listen to that? And I'm, I'm, I'm talking to me as well as you, all right? Um, I'm not pointing at you. I'm going to point all at me. We preach the gospel of Christ and remember the poor. That's what he wants. I've had people say, well, the gospel of Christ consists of all the teaching of the New Testament. It hadn't been written. Well, when they would eventually write it down, they didn't ever write a book called This is the Gospel of Christ. You are gleaning bits and pieces out of 27 books with references to the other 39, and you're ramming them together in context that they would have never assumed to do so, except Paul could be kind of creative, and then saying, and behold the gospel of Christ, which you must obey all of this. And no wonder Paul says, don't let them get you out of your freedom. What do the apostles ask for? Just remember the poor, would you, while you're doing this? So don't just preach Jesus, treat people nice. Matthew 25. That's the criteria for getting into heaven. I didn't say it, he did. Uh, he doesn't have an email, but you can talk to him directly if you, if you disagree with Jesus. Um, goes on, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. Wait a minute, I hear, there's been a history happening. We're just, we're just finding out about this. He disappears here, he disappears there. He shows up with Peter, uh, 15 days. And then he's there at this uh, council with these esteemed pillars, who wouldn't want to mention, doesn't mean anything to him, but he mentions them three times. And then says, um, then I went right back to Antioch. When he, well, when, when, when Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood there condemned. Oh my, plot twist. Why? Because certain men who came from James, he used to eat with the, uh, I'm sorry, before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of, that's Peter, in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jews, Jewish customs? Now he's going to go on. Those of you that are head are spinning saying, what's going on? Same thing we were talking about earlier. Peter, Peter was, Peter often moved at the speed of feel instead of at the speed of thought. And that's not an insult to Peter. I mean, I, Peter's been the one apostle with, which I, with whom I identify most um, because I often move at the speed of, of feel rather than at the speed of thought. And, and that leaves you a lot of time in your life for regret. It really does. What happened was he was living like a Gentile. In other words, he'd learned from Acts 10, I don't have to, I don't have to keep kosher. You know, I'm allowed to eat other food and I'm allowed to be uh, with other people and I'm allowed to be with non-Jews and consider them brothers and sisters. And then comes the harsh judgmental crowd among the Jews and they walk in 
And Peter starts pulling back from the Gentiles because he doesn't want to get in trouble with those, these people that are mean and judgmental and evidently have some influence. And in fact, they were able to make even Barnabas, nicest guy that you're going to find outside of Jesus, pull away from the Gentiles. And so he moves in saying, all right, guys, you're not living like you did as old time Jews. Don't start acting like you are now. And goes further, verse 15, chapter 2. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Boom. So it's not Jesus and correct worship, correct organization of the church, correct um, beliefs about everything from Trinity to Lord's Supper to baptism to whatever. No, it's faith in Jesus Christ. I will not be saved because I did things right. I will be saved because I believed in the right person. I will not be saved because I will go to the right church and do the right actions in the right way. I will be saved and I will be saved because I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I know that sounds too simple. They knew it sounded too simple. And Paul is fighting to keep it simple. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Wait, 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 what? Does that mean he doesn't like the law? That what God put in the Old Testament is a big, bad mistake? No, no, We're, we'll talk about some of that stuff later, but here's what you need to know for now. <laughs> I can't tell you everything you're gonna need to know, but for now, the reason Christ came was because we couldn't keep the law. We, we just failed at it. I'm saying we, I'm, I have, as far as I know, not a drop of Jewish blood in me, but I can't say, well, they failed and not mention me. There's not a human that could keep the law and they didn't. So what are we gonna do? Well, we gotta be freed from that, don't we? We have to be saved from our own weaknesses and our own failures and our own, let's call it what it is, sin. And so Jesus, grace. Wow, that's pretty, that's pretty awesome. But right now, I can guarantee you right now, there are some people who huff, 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 huff. They're huffing. Uh, I don't know if they're Hufflepuffs or not, but they're huffing. And they're like, uh, I don't know, no, no. Uh, James says that faith without works is dead. He absolutely does. He does. But those works weren't done to be saved. Those works were done as evidence that you believed in Christ. Because I believe in Christ, I'm putting myself out there. And sometimes I get some interesting phone calls and letters and emails. I'll never forget the person who doubted everything I said to the point where I was away and they called, and this was back when we had a landline, and my wife picked it up and they said, is this Patrick's so-called wife? I mean, I'm going, so-called wife? They're even doubting that now? There is a Miss Cammy, I promise. It's not the picture that came in my wallet with the, you know, when I bought the wallet. It's a real person. Um, it's just ridiculous what people do because they're saying, this is too simple. If you want to live like Naaman, a leper, you just keep doing that. But if you want to be like Naaman who trusted God, come dip in the Jordan, do what you're told. 
What are you told to do? Have faith in Christ. Don't forget the poor. Go about doing good in the name of Jesus. There you go. Run along now. In fact, he goes, if, I, if, if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes sin? If you don't get that, Christ walked around the sinners. So he's saying, now, now we're wanting to be justified in Christ, now, but we're also Jewish. And now we find ourselves around fallen women, Gentiles, publicans, sinners. Have we sinned? Well, if we sinned, then Christ was sinning. So if you're claiming to be a Jew that believes Jesus is the Christ, it must be acceptable to be among these people and not bind the traditions upon them. By the way, Paul kept the traditions. Whenever Timothy, another one of his favorites, comes along, what does he do? He, um, he has Timothy circumcised. Well, why did he have Timothy circumcised and not Titus? Because Timothy was a Jew, Titus was a Greek. It's fine to keep the rituals and laws that you received, it's great. Don't bind them on anybody else. There you go. You may love huge organ music with all the pipes and the, uh, the you know, the, all the hallelujahs way up. And that's great. It really is. But don't bind that. Don't say that's the only church music. You may love four-part harmony with no instruments. That's great. I actually love that sound. Don't bind it on others. All we can do is have our faith in Christ and treat each other like Christ says. That's it. That is the whole. He goes, in fact, does that mean Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawmaker. In other words, I, I broke down that relationship of law and faith because, well, we'll find out later how he developed all of this. We won't find out exactly where he was at all times, by the way. That still remains a black hole. We can talk to him about in heaven and just say, you know, one paragraph, just one paragraph. That would have helped a lot. Um, for through the law, I died to the law. So that's what he destroyed. What does it mean, died to the law? To a Jew, the word die, death, all of that, in, in, it means a separation. So Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they did die that day. They didn't just start as human beings to have cells that failed to replicate. They died because they were separated from God. They no longer could walk with God in the garden. They were no longer in the garden. So he says, I died to the law. In other words, I'm not under obligation to this anymore. Used to be, I carried that over me. It lived within me. It, I swam within it with pride. But now it is away. I put, that, I put that away. I have been crucified with Christ. When he died, that all changed because I, he goes, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. I want you to take a very good look here. We're about to end here in a little bit. We'll have to. I wanted to get a little bit further, but the preacher just goes on and on. Um, there's not much left of me because I gave myself away twice. Once was in baptism when I gave myself to Jesus. Another was when I got married and gave myself to Miss Cammie. I serve Miss Cammy and do so gratefully and uh, feel blessed doing so. By the way, it's not always a one-way street. She's an amazing wife. I also serve Jesus and 
gave my life to him. And that's not a one-way street either. He, he keep, continues to pour into my life. So what am I saying? I can't really stomp around yelling about my rights and my this and my that and my... No, 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 I died. And now I live with Christ. And I live under my covenant. So, and it goes. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. I, mean, I fear many of our religious people and religious leaders set aside the grace of God by saying, so glad you believe in Jesus. Here are your obligations. Oh my. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could not be gained through the law, or rather could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. And I really got to go a little bit into chapter three here. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly betrayed as crucified. I'd, I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Ooh. By doing these actions, is that how you received the Spirit of Christ? Or was it because you believed Christ? Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain, if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you by the works of the law or by your believing what you heard? And then he says something which is just beautiful. So Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. All right, we'll wrap this up in the next two minutes, I promise. Paul's going to fight this battle and fight this battle. In Romans, he's gonna say, wait a minute, you were sinners when Christ saved you. Why do you now think you have to be super holy for him to save you? And I've heard religious leaders say, holiness is even greater than love. That's pretty close to blasphemy. You've crossed a serious line, especially when faith, hope, and love, and the greatest of these is love. Hmm, Paul could have, Paul had freedom and word choice there, I'm sure. But for some reason, he and the Spirit of God put down faith, hope, and love, and love is greatest. So mm, let's not tread on that. And also here, you were saved when you were sinners. You were saved when you were a mess. Now, why do you think that all those works you were doing back then that weren't saving you now will? Doesn't make any sense. That's where we're going to have to leave it. But except for that one thing, are you a mess? I'm a mess. Everybody you know is a mess. Look out the window. They're a mess. But if we believe God, it's credited to us as righteousness. That doesn't mean we're sloppy about stuff. Doesn't mean we ignore the poor or that we're not kind to people. What it does mean is relax, freedom in Christ, be who God made you to be, move Christ around in your community, in your family, in your life. Let him shine from your eyes because he's got you. He's got you. We'll talk again later. Cheers.